Well, it's good to see each of you again tonight. And uh, I feel like we have a pretty good audience here tonight. Appreciate it very much. Turn with me to 1 Kings, the 16th chapter. 1 Kings 16. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 15 that we can learn some things from things written before time. And when he made that statement, he was referring to Old Testament Scripture, evidently. And so we're going to look at some of that tonight. And I begin reading in 1 Corinthians 16 at verse 28. So Omri, or Omri, rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, began became king over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. That's quite a testimony, isn't it? Did evil more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He was the one that pulled the ten tribes away from the house of David and started the northern kingdom that's identified as the kingdom of Israel. In a, in a, and of course the southern kingdom, the two tribes were called the kingdom of Judah after that. So came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat that he took as wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal king of the Sidonians and he went and served Baal and worshipped him then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal which he had built in Samaria And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And that's quite a testimony, especially in light of the fact that none of the kings of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, none of those kings were righteous. They were all evil kings. But he had a reputation above most of those, at least. At least he had a reputation, bad reputation, worst reputation of those who had gone before him. So we're going to look at that tonight. Look at this man. And notice one of the things he did was marry Jezebel. And there's a difference in Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab knew what was right. He knew who was the true God. He knew who were the true prophets of God were. We'll see that as we study a little further. Jezebel had no recognition of that. She was a foreigner. She did not, she did not give any service, any 
quarter to the Lord God of heaven at all. She was opposed in every way to him. There's a passage that we will, I hope we'll lead, we read later on that says something about her and her relationship with regard to how they lived their lives, relationship she had with, uh, with Ahab, her husband. Elijah, the prophet, very famous and well-known prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah was the prophet of God. One, I should say, he was probably the premier, if we might put it, the premier prophet of this time. There were other prophets like Obadiah, who is mentioned in these scriptures that we are studying tonight. Obadiah. And, uh, but Elijah was a prophet that was, of course, prophesying during the days of the kingship of uh, Ahab. In the 17th chapter now, we will be studying uh, these next few chapters with regard to him. And Elijah the prophet, in 17 at verse 1, made a statement to Ahab, told him that there shall but not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And I believe it was three and a half years after this before they had rain again. That was quite a drought, quite a long drought. And so Isaiah said the only way that there's going to be rain is when I give the word. And of course the Lord would give him the word as to when that would be. So when he made that announcement, the Lord told him to escape, told him to go, leave, because he knew that, uh, that Elijah was going to be in danger of what, might, what could be done to him. He told him to get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith. And he said uh, he would, uh, of course, drink the water of this brook and that the ravens would provide food for him, and they did. They brought food and provided for him until the brook dried up. And then God told him to go to live with this widow in Zarephath. And so he goes, and when he gets to that city, he sees this widow out picking up sticks. And he asked for water, and he asked also for a morsel of bread. And when he got to the bread part of it, she told him, Well, I only have very little. She said, I'm out here picking up sticks now to go make my fire and to bake the bread that I, break the bread that I have left and use the oil to do that, and then my son and I are going to die. Well, he was going to help her then. He said, I'm, t I'm telling you that your flower, your flower pot, it will not go empty. There will always be flour there when you go to make the bread. And the jar of oil will never diminish. You'll always have oil to go, to cook with. And so... 
he starts living with her, and that came to pass. She had a son, and while Elijah was living with them, the son died. He got sick and died. And she was much distraught about that. And she, of course, she kind of let, let Elijah know that she said, I thought you were a prophet of God, and here, here my son has died. And he said, give him to me. He took him up to his room where he was staying and brought him back down in a little while, and he was alive. He said, here's, here's your son. He is alive. And you know, somewhat like we read in the New Testament, why were the miracles in New Testament times performed? To prove, for instance, when Jesus performed miracles, to prove to prove. That he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah. And the apostles performed miracles. God gave them the ability to perform miracles. In order to do what? To prove that their message was not theirs, but it was the message from heaven. And in the last verse of chapter 17, this is what's said. Then the woman said to Elijah, this is after he brought the Son alive. Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. The word in your mouth is, is the truth. So she said, what you, you've just proven to me that you are a true prophet of God. So she was, uh, she was complimenting him for that. Then in the 18th chapter, God tells Elijah to go present him to Ahab and so he goes looking for him and in the process of it he meets Obadiah Ahab had sent out Obadiah Ahab, Ahab was going one way they were looking for water and he went one direction and Ahab went the other and while they were in the process of going to look for water Elijah met up with uh, Obadiah and he said, go tell Ahab to come and meet me. <laughs> and Obadiah said, they've looked all over, this, all over this country for you, Elijah. He said, if I, if I go tell him to meet you and then you go, the Lord takes you somewhere else. He said, I'm going to be in trouble. They'll kill me. He said, don't you worry about that. He said, I, I'm, going to meet, I'm going to meet Ahab today. So he goes and tells Ahab, and Ahab comes to meet Elijah. And when uh, he comes to meet him, it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Now think about that. Here is this evil king. Worst king up to this time that Israel had ever had. And he is blaming Elijah, the great prophet of God, for the trouble that Israel is having. And he answered, Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the babe. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. 
the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel. And this is where we have the record in chapter 18, where we, beginning at verse uh, 21. We have the record of that contest between Elijah and the, as a prophet of God and the prophets of Baal. Elijah said to the people of Israel as they met, or in verse 21 it is, Elijah said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. Think about that. They didn't say, Elijah, we're on God's side. We believe in the Lord God of heaven. They just stayed mute. Well, he proposed the contest. He said, each of us, the prophets of Baal, and there are many, as we read, they'll take one bull and prepare it for the sacrifice, and I will prepare the other bull, and we'll call upon our God to send down fire and consume the sacrifice. Whichever one, whichever one, of course, that happens will prove who is, who is God, who is the true God. So the people said, that's a good idea. We want to see that. Putting it in my own words, that was the reaction. They were, that, they were willing to have that contest take place. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you're, you're a many and I'm by myself said, you go ahead and prepare first and present yours. So they did, and they began to call upon Baal in verse 26. O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. They leaped about the altar they had made. So it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. He, he's uh, kind of making fun of them, isn't he? So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. So they did that till midday, and there was no voice, there was no answer, we we're told. Then Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So the people, all the people came near to Elijah and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down and he prepared the altar and uh, prepared the sacrifice, laid it on the altar and then he told them to take four water pots and fill them with water and pour it on the sacrifice. He had, he had dug a trench around this altar and when they had done that, he said, do it a second time. Four more, that makes eight. And when they'd done it a second time, he said, you do it a third time. And a third time, they poured four pots of water on that sacrifice till water was running over the trenches. And then he began to call upon God, the true God of heaven. 
In verse 36, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. How amazing. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They changed the tune, didn't they? Now they speak up. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Think about that. Put to death all of those false prophets. Alma and I, among other, among I think 76 others with us, stood on Mount Carmel back in 1974 and looked down over the brook Kishon. This is where all of this took place. So, In the 19th chapter, we are told that Ahab told Jezebel. He went home and told Jezebel what Elijah had done to her prophets. Well, she sent a message to Elijah. She said, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she's telling, she's telling Elijah, about this time tomorrow, Elijah, you're going to be dead just like those prophets of Baal. Well, what does he do? He starts running. And he ran a long way. First went to Beersheba, and he left his servant there. But he then went further than that, and he wound up going all the way to Horeb, Mount Horeb, the area where the law of Moses had been given. And there the God, God appeared to him and spoke to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah began to tell him, he said, You know, I've been your prophet, I've been faithful to you. But he said, I'm left alone. God said, No, you're not alone. I know you're having trouble, but you're not alone. There are 7,000 7, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Verse 18. So after this, 
we have in the last part of this chapter the introduction of another prophet, Elisha. And God told Elijah that he is to go and he is to pass his mantle on to Elisha. He's going to be the prophet that would follow Elijah after he is gone. And so when they met up, Elijah threw the, his mantle over Elisha. And Elisha then went on following after him for a time. And Elijah still, of course, even into the record of Second Kings, he still serves as a prophet. But they're getting Elisha ready to serve also. In the 20th chapter, Ben-Hadad was king over Syria. And in this chapter you have described the conflict that took place between the northern kingdom Israel and Syria. And Ben-Hadad really made his boast. He gave orders to Ahab as to what he had to do in order to, in order to please him. He was so, so uh, egotistical about that, did it in such a way that evidently it stirred Ahab up a little bit. So he told him, he sent a message back to him, let not the one who puts on the armor boast like the one who takes it off. He said, we haven't had the battle yet. Ben Hadad, you ought not to be boasting like you are. When you, you uh, haven't put on the armor yet, we got to do the battle yet. So, so happened that God, of course, in this, even though uh, Ahab himself was very evil, as we've already found, found out, God would not allow the Syrians to overtake the nation of Israel. So, when that was all through, we're told in the 29th verse of the 20th chapter of First Kings, and they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. Well, Ben-Hadad realized that the, the battle was up. The battle was over. He had, been, he had been defeated. Of course, the victory for Ahab didn't last all that long, as we will, as we will find out. But uh, it wasn't long until... Ben-Hadad came in sackcloth before, before uh, Ahab, said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still, uh, Ahab said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Well, the short of this story is, he, uh, he did not destroy Ben-Hadad. And later on in verse 42 of this 20, 20th chapter, 
the message came from God, he said to him in verse 42, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. So he's down. And evidently that has something to do with the story in the next chapter. You remember the story of his wanting the vineyard of Naboth. And so he goes to Naboth and talks to him about it and offers him. He offers to buy it, give him money for it. Or he offers to trade it for another vineyard. He says better, better even than yours. But of course... In Israel, you know, they had their land inheritance that God had given them. And Naboth told him, he said, I'm not going to give you the inheritance of my fathers. So he went home, all sullen and down, and turned his face to the wall. Jezebel, his wife, came in and said, what's wrong, Ahab? Well, he told him the story about what had gone on. She said, you don't worry about that, I'll take care of that. And so she arranges to have a meeting and invite Naboth, and she's going, she, in, she invited these two scoundrels, as they are identified in the text, to come and falsely testify against him that he has, that he has uh, operated against God and against, I was trying to remember just how he expressed against God and against the king. And so they did, and they took, they took uh, Naboth out and stoned him to death. And Jezebel went home. This is all at Jezebel's doings now. Jezebel's go, she goes home and tells Ahab, go get your go get your vineyard. She said, I've I've arranged it. It tells it tells you what what a woman what what a woman she was. So when that happened, God, God sent the Lord sent Elijah, the prophet, to Ahab. Arise and go to meet him. Verse 18 of chapter 21. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dog licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Then Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. 
I will take away your posterity and cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up, incited him, is the alternate translation there. Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. She incited him to do these things. He was married to her. He wanted to please her. And here was a man who knew who the true God was. He acknowledged that. And we see that especially in chapter 22. When uh, Jehoshaphat, three years later, this is three years after what we just read about. Three years later, Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, and he was a righteous man. He goes up to visit Ahab. And while he was there, Ahab talked to him about, said, will you go up and fight with me against Syria and retake Ramoth Gilead? Said, it belongs to us really, but they've taken it away from us. And I want to take it back. Will you go? Well, Jehoshaphat said, well, I would like to do that if the Lord wants, if he wants us to do that. Said, we need to inquire of the Lord. Well, Ahab sent for his 400 prophets of Baal. And of course, they told him what he wanted to hear. They told him to go. The Lord would give it in, give a Ramoth Gilead into his hands. But Jehoshaphat knew what was going on. He said, isn't, putting it in my own words, he says, isn't there still a real prophet of God around here somewhere? And Micaiah, and here's why I said a while ago, he knows the difference between the prophets of Baal and the true prophet of God. He said, well, yes, there is one fellow. His name is Micaiah. Jehoshaphat said, call him. And he calls him, and Micaiah comes. And before he gets there, the messenger that went to get him, verse 13 of chapter 22, the messenger that went to get him, said to him, said, please let your word be like the word of one of them, the prophets of Baal, and speak encouragement. That's what he said to Micaiah the prophet. Micaiah said, here's his answer, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter what these other prophets have said. Whatever the Lord God of heaven says to me, that's what I'm going to say. So Micaiah goes and, and gets before the two kings, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. 
And Micaiah the prophet first tells him, he says, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Well, it'd be interesting to say just how he said that and what the situation was and the surroundings and so forth at that because the king was suspicious. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? (laughs) So then Micaiah said to him, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me? That was what he said earlier here in the chapter. When when he told Jehoshaphat, Yes, there is a prophet. His name is Micaiah. Verse 8, I hate him, he says, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. (laughs) And Jehoshaphat reprimanded him, and he said, let not the king say such things. You ought not to talk that way about a true prophet of God. But Micaiah, he knew, I mean, uh, Ahab knew what he wanted. And so, but Micaiah, and one of the... uh, Difficult things to understand. We don't know, we don't understand everything about all the things that take place in this history. But Jehoshaphat went with him in spite of all of this. And Ahab tells him to, you know, him to wear his royal robes, but he wants to change, he wants to disguise himself. Well, here the army goes after Jehoshaphat for a little while, but Jehoshaphat somehow or other he, he calls to him and he, he lets them know that he's not the king of Israel. They recognize this. They leave him and they go look for Ahab. But it says that there was a random error. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. He had on his armor, but that didn't help him. So he said to the driver of, the, of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. The blood ran out, ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then, as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army, saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried him, they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. That's exactly what the Lord threw prophet Elijah had told him was going to happen and it happened just like that and then over in the over in second kings the ninth chapter you remember the prophecy about Jezebel well she lived a while longer but Jehu was appointed king over 
the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, Elijah was, Elijah was sent home. Earlier, I skipped that, but he was, he was sent back from Mount Horeb. And one of the things he was to do was to anoint Jehu king of that northern kingdom. And so Jehu was made king of the northern kingdom. And Jehu evidently went looking for Jezebel in verse 30 of the ninth chapter of 2 Kings. And when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in and ate and drank, then he said, Go now and see to this accursed woman and bury her. For she was a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground uh, at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. So, God's prophecy through Elijah had come to pass. Here's the story of a man. I titled this lesson, Ahab, Compromiser with Satan. He knew the difference between the true God and the false gods. But one of the lessons we learned from it, be careful. Be careful who you marry. You say that to young folks. We don't have many of those here at the moment except those who are too young to understand. But be careful. Teach your children. Parents and grandparents are here. Teach your children to be careful who you choose to marry. Because look at what has happened to Ahab. And you can't blame it all on Jezebel, but she had a lot. She had a lot to do with it. Let's determine. You know, it takes determination. Jehoshaphat was determined that he was going to serve the Lord. It may be difficult to explain why he went to that battle. But he no doubt did it in the interest of trying to, trying to not let another nation overcome the nation of Israel. Obviously, he, by the stand he took as to who they should call to ask about it, he, did not, he was not going to simply listen to what Ahab wanted to do. But he made his own decision to go. But in spite of that, we see the difference between him and Ahab and what happened to them. Jehoshaphat began, continued to reign as a righteous king over the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Well, if you're here tonight, whatever lessons you can learn from this, we need to understand 
the importance of making up our mind that no matter what kind of situation we get in, no matter what kind of temptation or trials that are set before us, we need to remember there's a God in heaven and there's a truth that he has delivered to us. And we must stand for that truth, whatever we have to pay for it. If you're subject to the invitation of our Lord tonight, I invite you to come. If together we stand and sing. Of Jesus, say, come unto me. I am the way, heart of the loving call. Whoa.